Welcome to the Wilton Baptist Church, where we worship God, walk with others, and win people to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Pastor Steve, and our congregation is pleased to share this message with you today, and we pray it'll be a blessing and an encouragement to you. Blessings as you listen or watch. A side order of church history, part two, will continue through these, this pair of two parables that we called the food parables last time. One person said that he was walking in San Francisco along the Golden Gate Bridge. Some of you have been there and seen that or driven across. And as he was uh, walking along and looking at the Golden Gate Bridge, walking on it then, he saw a man about to jump off. I tried to dissuade him from committing suicide and told him simply that God loved him. A tear came to his eyes, and then I asked him, Are you a Christian, a Jew, or, or a Hindu, or what? He said, I'm a Christian. Me too. Small world. I said, uh, Protestant or Catholic, he went on to ask. He said, Protestant. I said, Me too. What denomination? He said, I'm a Baptist. I said, Me too. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? He said, Northern Baptist. Well, me too. I'm a Northern Baptist. He said, that's amazing. He said, uh, liberal Baptist or conservative Baptist? He said, conservative Baptist. He said, that's incredible. I'm a Northern, Southern, uh, 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 conservative, fundamentalist Baptist. Or are you a Northern, conservative, reform Baptist? And he said, I'm a Northern, conservative, fundamentalist Baptist. He said, remarkable. I am the same way as well. I'm a northern uh, conservative fundamental Baptist. Are you a northern conservative fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes region or northern conservative fundamentalist Baptist Eastern region? He said, northern conservative fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes region. I said, oh, what a miracle. How about this? Northern conservative fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes region council of 1879 or... Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. He said, Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. I said, die, heretic, and pushed him over. <laughs> there are a lot of branches in Christianity. And a lot of times we kind of get goofy about it, Really? A lot of labels that people put on different things. Since I was around the age of seven, I've always been, since about that time, in independent churches, independent Baptist churches. I see independent Baptist churches not as a denomination. And a lot of times people look at churches as denominational. Baptist isn't necessarily denominational because we're independent. There's no hierarchy in a church like ours. We're not connected to any other councils or groups or affiliations like this. So independent Baptist churches, in its truest sense, are not a denomination. If someone says that, I wouldn't correct them. I mean, we're Baptists, and so there's always that identifier. I have friends and family who are Methodist, Presbyterian, Lutheran, uh, Episcopalian, uh, Apostolic, Charismatic, Wesleyan, Nazarene, and Catholic, non-denominational, a lot of different people that I have as, as family and as friends, and I love every one of them. And we should be able to show love to every one of them. All of us have a, a religious background, 
And uh, even the nuns, that's the, grow, that's the fastest growing segment in society are those that say none, like no religion, no religious affiliation, no faith. They have faith in themselves, even though they would say they're a nun. They have faith in something. And so all of us have different backgrounds. Here we come together to open the scriptures, and we find some amazing teaching that we looked at last week even. And it's no surprise. Churches and church history, nothing that has ever happened has come as a surprise to the Lord Jesus Christ. He understands all about our churches. He even told us what it would be like in the parables that we're about to read. When Sarah was five years old, her mother decided it was time to teach her how to cross the street safely. Hand in hand, they waited for the green light at the intersection. And staring at the road, Sarah asked Mommy, what are those white lines for that's going across the road? Well, that marks where the pedestrians cross. And, and she looked up at her mom rather confused, and Sarah asked, well, then where do us Baptists cross? <laughs> so... We'll kind of get some idea about doctrine here just a little bit. That will be a great help uh, to all of us as we look at these verses here in Matthew chapter 13. All right, so we'll begin reading in verse 31. Matthew 13, 31. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Now, to say that it was a tree is an exaggeration. Jesus is giving an exaggeration. This, this little mustard seed grew to something of even greater than what normally it would. And so that gives us some, some clues about what he is speaking of. Then he goes on to say, another parable spake he unto them. The kingdom of heaven is likened to leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal. Word three there is important. We'll come back to it in just a little while. And he, she put it in its measures of meal till the whole was leavened. So it, it uh, infiltrated, it infected all the rest of that, uh, that meal, that, that wheat or that grain. And then all these things spake Jesus unto the multitudes in parables. And without a parable spake he not unto them. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. So Jesus used these parables to teach some mysteries. Kept secret. The word secret here is the word crypto, cryptocurrency, uh, you know, cryptography. It's the same word that we use for all of that. Something that has been hidden. It's not something that cannot be understood. It's just not been revealed yet. And so you and I have something that these disciples had that the Old Testament saints and prophets did not understand. Something that he revealed in this New Testament era that uh, we find in the scriptures. And so here is two parables. These are the food parables. One indicates external growth. The one in the field, the mustard seed growing. And one has internal growth that uh, will also consider today as well. Now, to consistently interpret these passages, because these are simile parables, he doesn't give a whole story and explanation like he did for the first two that we've covered. 
consistently interpreted in each, uh, in each, the man symbolizes Christ, the field is the world, and the seed is the word of God, which tells of Christ and his kingdom. So taking all the other parables to this point, we can start to get some understanding of this pair of parables, the food parables. That's why we call this a side order of church history. Well, nothing, nothing about Christianity surprises Jesus. Our first point that we looked at last week, if you missed it, just go back to our sermon audio page and you can find that, uh, that message. Our first point was that there are many branches in Christianity. We had our little branches on a tree and you can see all the different, uh, different branches and that's, that's just so small really it could be a lot larger. These are some of the main or major branches that you could say are branches off of Christianity. And our second point, then, is found in these verses as well, and that is some people will use Christianity. Some people will use Christianity. So notice what happens in verse 32, because this tree grows abnormally quick and large and a lot bigger than, than uh, what you would anticipate for a little mustard seed. By the way, mustard seed isn't the smallest uh, seed on earth, but it was the smallest seed that they would know of in that area, in that culture, and in that time frame. And so he's making a great contrast and comparison here with this. And so here's the seed. It grows up. And notice that the second part of the verse, it becometh a tree so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Some of you are bird watchers and you like to see those birds outside your, your window and maybe they're in a tree or maybe you set some things out for them to perch on or something to get some food or little houses and things. Uh, I like to uh, put bird houses up and watch the little baby birds after they're born and then they kind of try to escape. And then, I, I like that. Maybe you like that as well. Try to escape. <laughs> they, they grow up and they escape the nest. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> well, those birds are using the tree for shelter. And in this case, they could use this mustard seed tree. It's a bush, but it grew really big, 10, 15 feet, 20 feet tall. And they could use it for shelter and for food. They would like that little bit of mustard seed and that uh, intense taste that some of those trees would have, those bushes would have. The birds come and lodge in the branches of Christianity. This is the imagery of this parable then, living off the branch, taking and eating the fruits or the bounty of the tree. The little mustard seed is a little bit fiery, depending on what variety you would have. Some are more fiery than others, just like you have different flavors in your mustard that you may enjoy this summer. And so the birds like it. They're grateful for it. They could find shelter and find a little bit of eating right there in that place. So the phrase here, birds of the air, birds of the sky, indicates wild birds. These are wild birds that come in, and as opposed to domesticated birds. And so they're flying in. They're using this space. Certainly, we could look at, as one person commented, Christendom. Christendom has become a worldwide power with a complex organization with many branches. What started out in a humble manner today boasts of great material possessions and political influences. Uh, some make this parable to teach the worldwide success of the gospel. That is a contradiction. It does grow, but then there's also a growth of error even within a lot of these branches. Now you have people using this tree to maybe uh, gain something from it. And that's what the birds are doing in this case. Now, it's possible God may trim a tree. 
God may trim a tree. There's examples in the Old Testament that we'll look at of God trimming a tree to make it more fruitful, purging a tree, ruffling some feathers even, you could say. Sometimes as you look at the news and you hear different things, a lot of times uh, in our news cycles today, denominational churches are having a lot of their branches trimmed. There's a lot more branches branching off even. And throughout history, if you just look at church history, there's a branch here because of this problem, another branch there because of this problem over here, and you have all this happening. That's even happening in our world and in different denominational churches today. Well, the Lord speaks to Israel, and because of their sins, he cuts off some of their branches, the branches of their tree. He sends in Babylon and the Medes and the Persians and the Assyrians and later on the Romans. And they will invade the, the Hebrew people in their homeland. In Ezekiel 17, 23, here's the analogy that we could take and compare Scripture to Scripture. Ezekiel 17, 23, In the mountain of the height of Israel will I plant it, and it will bring forth bows and bear fruits and be a goodly cedar. And under it shall dwell all fowl of every wing and the shadow of the branches thereof shall they dwell. And later on in Ezekiel, there's other passages that say that that the, these different groups are going to come in. These other nations are going to come in because God's people had walked away from the Lord. And he sent the Medes and the Persians, the Babylonians and others. Because God's people had abandoned clear teaching. They started to trust their own works. They started to add to the faith of Hebrewism or Judaism. They started to add, instead of looking for the Messiah, they developed a works-based uh, way in their eyes of going to heaven. And so these other groups came in, carried them away, took them captive, carried their kids away, uh, killed many of them as well. God trimmed their tree. If God would trim Israel's tree, he could trim a tree today as well. In Daniel, in Daniel chapter 4, verses 10 through 12, speaking to Nebuchadnezzar, thus were the visions of mine head in my bed. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and the height thereof was great. The tree grew and was strong, and the height thereof reached into heaven, the sight thereof to the end of the earth, and the leaves thereof were fair, and the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all. The beasts of the field had shadow under it, and the fowls of heaven dwelt in the bows thereof, and all flesh was fed of it. So here's a tree, and all these other animals and creatures and birds, they get to eat all of this, and so that's like the picture that Jesus gives with this mustard seed, and God speaks directly to Nebuchadnezzar after that vision and says the same thing, his tree is going to get cut. And God's going to rearrange that tree in Daniel 4, verse 22 and 23. It is thou, O king, thou art grown and become strong, for thy greatness is grown and reacheth unto heaven and thy dominion to the end of the earth. And whereas the king saw a watcher and a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, Hew the tree down and destroy it, yet leave the stump of the roots thereof in the earth, even with a brand of iron and brass and the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be the beasts of the earth or the field until seven times are passed over him. And so here is a trimming of the tree for Nebuchadnezzar as well. If God would do that in the Old Testament for uh, the Hebrew people or for a Gentile man, certainly God can also trim the tree. And so you also have some of these branches now that are being developed throughout the last 2,000 years. But the birds will come. There are some people, they're not part of the tree, but they're, they're going to use the tree to find refuge and to find a living or to find food or to find personal increase just like these birds would. Now, whether a Jew or a Gentile, friends, religion is not a tool 
It's not a tool to make a living. Religion to gain politically, economically, or popularity, that's a shameful thing. You don't want to do that. Uh, you don't want to live like that. Don't, don't use religion to try to get some kind of a benefit. It could help you. It could be used against you if you, if you try to use that. When I work with, uh, with business with people, I, I don't always say, hey, I'm a pastor of a church, you know, as if, uh, as if I want some kind of special treatment or something. I don't do that. I don't think as Christians we need to do that either. And uh, because that could, that could be good, that could be really bad. Like, oh, forget helping you out then, or we don't want to uh, serve you. Either way, it could happen like that. But you don't use religion or your relationship to try to gain, your relationship with God, to try to gain something from other people. It's a shameful thing, politics, economics, you name it, popularity, etc. Now, there are many problems in denominational churches, which in any church really, that would abandon the basic teaching of Scripture. Talk about the most basic teachings of Scripture. We see that in the next parable of the leaven and the bread. And even today, you have these groups that are splintering off. There are United Methodists that are becoming global Methodists this year. And other groups, that you, you hear different things like that. This week, I traveled to uh, south of here just a little bit. And you can see this picture of this building. And I, I picked up some horse-watering troughs. We don't have horses, but we picked up some horse-watering troughs because we're going to make a little raised garden bed. So I have these horse-watering troughs. Well, I went down and uh, met with this guy, Facebook Marketplace, beautiful place if you want secondhand junk or stuff or whatever you're looking for. And uh, he owned the whole city block. And I, I, I kind of was thinking this location, like why would this guy have horse troughs right in the middle of a city? And he owned the whole city block. And he's like, yeah, it's over here. This horse troughs are over in this church, um, kind of like a patio area. So we walked over, and we're starting to talk some more different things. And, and he's, he's telling me different things about what he believes. And so, so I, I did tell him about Christianity a little bit and uh, to witness to him, not, not like I was just saying a moment ago, like trying to get a deal or anything. Um, but he said, yeah, I own this church building. I said, well, let's go look at it, if that's all right. He said, yeah, let's go look at it. He walked me into this church building. Eighty years ago, this church ran 2,000 people every Sunday. It's a stunning building. He's been refurbishing it and everything. Now they do weddings and dances, and it's a venue for all kinds of things like that. And I, I thought, what a sad thing. And I, I wanted to show you that picture because uh, here's a, a beautiful building, some kind of a Canadian branch of some a more formal, you could tell, a more formal type uh, of faith. And what a sad thing. The people started to abandon their faith, and before long, the church dried up, and there was nobody there. So he has this building. By the way, you can buy that building. Uh, he told me he'd take a million dollars for that building. <laughs> Beautiful. He did a lot of good work in refurbishing it. But that's a sad thing. Why would a church dry up? Because of people branching off or moving away from the basic teaching of Scripture. Somewhere along the way, they left their faith. They left clear Bible teaching. So nothing about Christianity surprises Jesus. There are many branches of Christianity, our first point. There are some who use religion. There are some who will use it for some kind of a benefit. That should not be us as Christians today. And then there are some who are corrupt. And there is some corruption within Christianity. And that's really the whole crux of the, of the, the fourth parable 
our second one today. Another parable, verse 33, spake he unto them, this is internal growth, the kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. There's some corruption in Christianity. One preacher said, years ago I was scheduled to hold meetings in a church that I had every reason to believe was a fundamental Bible-believing church, sound in doctrine, sound in practice. However, I found out that that was not true. People in positions of authority in that church believed and taught a doctrine that attacked the deity of Christ. The deity that God is, that Jesus is the Son of God, God in the flesh. He's still 100% God, 100% man. They were attacking the deity that Jesus is God, the deity of Christ. And he said they were attacking that. When I confronted the church leaders, they hedged as long as they could. And only when they were driven into a corner in our conversation, they admitted their sympathies were with the false teaching. They were leaning towards and saying Jesus really was just a man instead. And here's a, a branch of the professing church where one would have thought no error would be found, and yet there was error found as they were erring from the basic teaching that Jesus Christ is the risen Son of God. They would just say he was a man. They had gone away from that. And he went on to say... Yet the doctrine of demons had silently flown in and was now roosting comfortably in its new nest. And so that could happen. And it's happened in a lot of different churches. By the way, a lot of the seminaries in early America, a lot of the colleges like the Harvards and the Yales and the Princetons were founded as seminaries to teach the Bible. And they were the ones who after several years said, we don't believe the Bible anymore. And they continued to teach the people who were ministers in a lot of these denominational churches. And you have this cycle of uh, really a progression away from believing God's word and standing on clear Bible doctrine and teaching. Now, the kingdom of heaven itself is perfect. It is in heaven, after all. The kingdom of earth, uh, kingdom of heaven growing on earth as God is, is working in and through his church and his people, uh, there is corruption because we are people. And there's always potential for corruption, even in God's church. The church is imperfect now. It'll be perfect one day when we get to heaven. But both of these parables are revealing these mysteries about the kingdom of heaven that the Old Testament saints did not understand. So here we're shifting now from the field to a table, uh, to more like food here at a kitchen table. Now, since the mustard seed represents external growth, the leaven represents internal growth. Now, there are three measures of meal. Notice he uses three measures of meal. Now, you can compare different numbers and things like that in the Scripture, comparing, referencing, cross-referencing to get some ideas of why this could be important. Three measures of meal were used in the Old Testament for special offerings. In fact, when Abraham... And Sarah had three visitors come to visit them. Abraham said, Sarah, can you, can you get three measures of meal and prepare some food for us? Okay, so it was used in that example. Three measures of meal was also used for what's called the meal offering, the meal offering or the meat offering in the Old Testament. Now, 
Here's Leviticus 2.1. When any will offer a meat offering unto the Lord, his offering shall be a fine flour. It's fine flour. So he's using some flour as well. And he shall pour oil upon it and put frankincense thereon. Now, I found several verses that in, indicate three. I'll just give you one of them. Numbers 28, verse 12. I think there's like 12 verses that say three. Uh, the 10th the deals, or three-tenth deals of flour for a meat offering mingled with oil for one bullock and two-tenths for a meat offering mingled with oil for a ram, so depending on the size of the animal. For the main offering, that, that ram offering or the bullock offering was three. Several other times God said, use three measures of meal. Now the oil is not measured, which could represent to us then the enduring an unending presence of the Holy Spirit. Basically, they would sprinkle as much oil as needed for making that bread uh, for this offering that they were going to give. So this, this parable is speaking to the idea of an offering to the Lord. Now, we always have enough of the Holy Spirit, by the way. They didn't measure it back in the Old Testament. He just says, uh, it just says here they use some oil. Um, as important for us to know, we have all the Holy Spirit. He has all of us. He indwells us at the moment we place our faith in Christ. Now, he, he needs to fill us. We need to allow him to fill us, to control us by God's grace, yield to him each day. But he's always with you. You have as much as, as the Holy Spirit in you as you'll ever have. Ephesians 1 verse 13, In whom also you trusted, after that you heard the Spirit of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also that... After that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So he's there with you. He's sealing you and keeping you. Now, the meal offering, as one person described, was made of fine flour because it symbolized Christ in the purity and evenness of his life on earth. He was always the same, never flustered, never in a hurry, never at a loss, never anxious, never afraid, always in control. He stood apart from the greatest of his followers. Peter was impetuous. John was known as a son of thunder. Paul lost his temper on more than one occasion. And so this fine flower is a prefigure, if you would, of the matchless, the matchless life of Jesus Christ. Now, if you read other Old Testament passages, when they have this meat offering, this meal offering, sometimes they would... After it was baked, they would put frankincense on it. They would garnish a little bit of frankincense and then sprinkle some salt on top. But it doesn't have any leaven in it. In fact, there's many commands. Don't put any leaven in this. The woman puts leaven in this mix that she's mixing up. In the scriptures, we find several times this idea that leaven is symbolic of corruption. Leaven is symbolic of corruption. It's biblical symbolism for corruption. Leviticus 2, verse 11. No meat offering which ye shall bring unto the Lord shall be made with leaven. For ye shall burn no leaven nor any honey in any offering made by fire um, to the Lord. And so not even putting honey in it because that would also kind of permeate and corrupt that purity of the grain or the flour. So this is representing of Christ. Christ is pure and perfect, and his teaching is pure and perfect. But some within Christianity will start to corrupt it. Anywhere there's a person, there's potential for corruption because of who we are. Now, some within Christianity will start to spread false teachings and false doctrines. Now, here's the comparison that Jesus gives. 
Matthew 16, verse 6. Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven. Here's our word. The leaven of the Pharisees. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Matthew 16, 12. Then understood how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees and the Sadducees had some false doctrine. That was their leaven. He's making a comparison there for us. And I really like Mark chapter 8, verse 15. He charged them saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. All right, so you have religious leaven and you also have corruption that could come from outside that you let inside a church and Herod would represent, represent government. He's King Herod representing the government. And so the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. Uh, the state, you could say. One reason, and there's several reasons, but one reason we believe in the separation of church and state is this. We don't want the state to tell us what to believe. We can't rely on that for anything because it's another human organization. It's instituted by God, just like the family and uh, the church and the government. Those are three things that God has ordained but we don't want them to tell us what to believe or what not to believe. That's why there's no state-sponsored religion in these United States. In fact, the early American preachers and ministers greatly influenced. We covered some of those guys last week in our message. Uh, John Clark is one of them, and, and um, the other fellow there in Rhode Island. They, they really were preaching this idea of a liberty of conscience, Soul liberty. You get to make your own choices. And so that's one reason I really love that verse. Take heed of that type of leaven. Because it, it'll be corrupting. It'll be corrupting. Uh, we don't take funds from the government for any of our ministries and things like that. If you go to Australia and different parts of the world, churches will take funds from the government. We don't want funds from the government. We don't want the government to, there's no strings attached. You know, we want to honor people and and uh, do all of the things that we need to do uh, by way of that, but no strings attached, separation of, of those things. By the way, if a Christian is elected into office and it needs to happen more, he can live his Christian life there. That's, that's perfectly fine. So one of the great Baptist gifts to the Reformation era is a full awareness that for individual believers, they're, they're really priests. They're, they're believer priests. In First Peter Chapter 2, verse 5, also verse 9. They work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. They must also uh, be unhindered by governmental interference. Early 17th century, here's Thomas Hueys. And uh, he had a lot of things to say. He wrote this little booklet. It's kind of a, a uh, it's hard to read that English, but it's a short declaration of the mystery of iniquity. And he, he penned this little booklet and it was in 1612, he said that the king of England was a mere man and had no authority over men's souls for men's religion to be, uh, is to be between God and themselves. That's what he said. You can see he said it's betwixt God and themselves. And so the, the state or the, the king has no uh, influence or should have no influence. And so that's why we believe separation of church and state, not to influence nor to restrict not to control, uh, or to say do it this way, or to control from 
uh, following your teachings and uh, what you want to believe for yourself. Um, I like how he said, it's not in my paper here, but uh, he said, let them be heretics, Turks. That would, to him, Turks would have been Islamic people or um, Muslims. Let them be heretics, Turks, or Jews, or whatsoever it appertains to the earthly power to punish them to the least measure. He said, let them be what they want to be. Let people believe what they want to believe, but let them alone. That's basically essentially what he's saying. We would adhere to that same idea in ideology as well. So in this parable, corrupt teachings would also spread and spread in a growing church. And a contrast to it will lay a straight stick beside what could be error, like a, a crooked stick. So I'm going to give you a straight stick here in just a moment. You can make a comparison yourself with any doctrines that you may understand. Now there was the Apostles' Creed. And did you know the Apostles' Creed was not actually written by any apostles? <laughs> it was a long time after that. This is the first example of what we would call today statement of faith. I like statement of faith. We have a statement of faith in our church. This is the first example. They called it an Apostles' Creed. And here's what it said. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by God the Holy Ghost, uh, by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. This is a great statement. This is a beautiful statement. It is a wonderful statement of faith. And some are like, whoa, wait a minute, Catholic Church. There was no Catholic Church when this was written. That word means universal. What he was saying was, anyone who places their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ they're born again, and they're part of God's church. That's what he was talking about. And so that's the oldest uh, form of a uh, confession of faith, if you would. It was in 140 A.D. And so to contrast, here's what we're going to say. If you, if you have some doctrine that you're aware of, here's what we believe as a church. Here's a, a basic doctrinal statement. And in old times, the Bible was rather self-evident. People just knew that's the scriptures. They just knew that was the Bible, self-evident. In AD 397, the canon or measurements to make a list of what books were to be included in the Bible that was completed. That's when they, they decided what measurements, that's what the word canon means. Let's make a list of what qualifies different books. But before that, the Bible was just self-evident. They said, hey, here's the Bible, here's a scripture, here's a parchment, here is God's word. The earliest four centuries of creeds did not include any statements about the Bible itself. Modern statements of faith include statements about the Bible, but uh, back in the day, there was no need for that. Uh, the Bible, we could say today, the Bible is God's plenary, that means all, inerrant, no errors, infallible, cannot fail, and inspired, that means God breathed or God spoken, uh, word of God, authored by God, written to mankind. That's a great confessional statement about the scriptures. The Godhead, then, we believe in one triune God, 
eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, each eternal in being identical in nature, co-equal in power and glory, and having the same attributes and perfections while executing distinct but harmonious offices in the great work of redemption. Then there's the Father. We believe the Father is the one and living God, the infinite and intelligent spirit. He is perfect in holiness, infinite in wisdom, and measureless in power. He is merciful as well as just. So there's going to be people that to which these things are corrupted. But this is, what I'm sharing with you, this is the truth, with no corruption, no leaven in it. The person and work of, the, of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We believe in the deity and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the eternal Son of God who became man without ceasing to be God. We believe that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of Mary while she was yet a virgin, and lived a sinless life in order that he might reveal God and redeem sinful men. We believe the blood atonement of Jesus Christ for sin, that the Lord Jesus Christ suffered and died for our sins. He accomplished our redemption through his death on the cross as representative, vicarious, substitutionary sacrifice. And that our justification is made sure by his literal, physical resurrection from the dead. We believe in the deity and the work of the Holy Spirit. We believe that the Holy Spirit is a person who actively restrains evil and convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That he is a supernatural agent in regeneration, baptizing all believers into the body of Christ by indwelling them at the moment of salvation and sealing them into the day of redemption. Then the total depravity of man. We believe that man was created in the image and likeness of God, but that in Adam's sin, the human race fell, inherited a sinful nature, and became alienated from God. And that man is totally, totally depraved. The consequences of which mankind are now sinners by nature, not by constraint, but by choice. And therefore, under the condemnation of God, without defense or excuse, and of himself utterly unable to remedy his lost condition. We couldn't fix it by ourselves. We believe that before the world began, God had a plan to redeem fallen man. Jesus Christ willingly participated in that plan as he took human form, lived a sinless life, and willingly shed his blood on the cross of Calvary, dying as our substitute. We believe that any and all who will confess their need of salvation and place their trust completely in the finished work of Jesus Christ alone will be saved. Well, the church then has a purpose. We believe that Jesus Christ is the founder and builder of the church, the body, the spouse, bride of Christ. We believe in the local church as an assembly of baptized believers gathered together for the purpose of carrying out the Great Commission. We believe the church is the only agency that properly carries out the Great Commission and its purpose to exalt the Savior, evangelize the lost, equip and edify the saints. We believe that the establishment of and continuance of local churches is clearly taught and defined in the New Testament scriptures. And what about believers then, and members? We believe that the local church is solely made up of saved, born-again persons who, at the moment of salvation, are placed into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. We believe that saved persons are to be baptized by immersion and instructed to identify with a local assembly of believers called to a church who's supported by con consistent attendance, prayer, giving, and using of their spiritual gifts. Church government. So the, we believe the... Uh, local church is autonomous and has the absolute right of self-government, which makes it free from interference of any hierarchy of individuals or organizations on the outside. We further believe that on all matters of membership, policy, government, or benevolence, the will of the local church is final. We believe Jesus Christ is the head of 
the church, church offices. You could summarize this slide by just saying there's a pastor and a deacon, a pastors and deacon, uh, uh, elders and deacons, uh, bishops and deacons, overseers in the scripture, and there's two ordinances then. There's baptism. If you have, have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can identify in the waters of baptism. It's a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection being raised up to have a new life, to recognize that new life in Christ. And then communion, or the Lord's table, the commemoration of the Lord's death with the bread and the fruit of the vine. Uh, it's a time of self-examination. We'll have one of those in a short time here as we approach the fall season. And so this is some of the uh, confession of faith that we have in our church constitution. As These are declarations of faith, a creed, you could say. The second advent of Christ, one of my favorite ones, we believe in the blessed hope, the visible, personal, imminent, pre-tribulational, pre-millennial rapture of his church. Basically, Christ is coming for us soon, and we're looking forward to that day. And all those different scriptures there that, uh, that we've used to understand and, and uh, see these things. Other statements include statements about angelology. Satan and demons are included in angelology. Uh, good angels as well. Abortion, human sexuality, male and female. That's also part of a confession. Uh, family relationships, civil government, euthanasia, missions work. There's a lot of things that would encompass that. Uh, and it's basically a summary. Here's what we believe. So it's, it's intended to help us stay true to the scripture. Okay, we're going to summarize. Here's the, here's the majors, the Bible majors on these things. We're going to major on these things. Things that the Bible's kind of minor on or doesn't speak much to, then that's not the majors. We're going to focus on the majors. That's what the confessionals are used for. It's what the, uh, the creeds and these statements like what we just read are our statement of faith is how we would call that. Here's what Paul told Timothy 1 Timothy 3.15, If I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. I like that description. The church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. But leaven, leaven can corrupt anything. Any organization where people are present could be corrupted. Doctrine could be corrupted. Basic teachings of Scripture could be confused and corrupted because of a little leaven, a leaven of the Pharisees, false teaching, and the Sadducees, and even a little leaven of Herod as well. Now, over time, we see this. In history, you see this as well, that humanity drifts away from God. We tend to drift away from God and drift to religion or drift to the state, or drift to some, some other thing other than God alone, solo scriptura, and believing the scriptures as they say that they're to be believed. Now, friends, Wilton Baptist Church is not a perfect church. Baptist churches are not perfect by any means. We desire, and I think a lot of people would say the same thing, we desire to know the Lord Jesus Christ and we desire to believe the scriptures as they are written, understand it in its context, in its historical setting, make application that's relevant and real in our hearts and lives today to be more like Jesus, to be more like Christ. But we're not a perfect church. If you find a perfect church, if you find a perfect church, let me know about it. But whatever you do, whatever you do, don't join that perfect church. Because <laughs> you'll mess it up. You'll mess it up. 
<laughs> There's no perfect church here on earth. Church is perfect in heaven. We'll get to experience that one day. God's kingdom is perfect in heaven. It's the kingdom of heaven after all. But there's tremendous growth. Here's the mustard seed. It grew up. There's a lot of branches of Christianity. There's a lot of people that use religion like those birds of the air do. It's flying in, taking what they want, living off of it. And there's a lot of corruption. Now, don't be discouraged by that. It's okay. Jesus told us it'd be like this ahead of time. Nothing in Christianity surprises Jesus. So let's conclude with these, these ideas. If you never trusted Christ, trust Christ today. When you see church growth, rejoice. Be thankful for that. When you know that people are using religion for some kind of a gain or something, be aware of that and beware when you see that. We know it's going to take place and it takes place. And when you see corruption, seek the truth. Jesus even said, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And so, know the truth when you see the teachings of other groups and, and people and teachers and preachers and, and churches. You can let the truth just kind of inform you about what is right as declared in the Scripture. Since church life is not a surprise to Jesus, we don't need to be surprised either. So, be encouraged with that church. Be encouraged. I'm thankful for the side history of... Uh, the side, the side meal of a history lesson, if you would. I think it's been a help and an encouragement. I hope it has been for you. Let's take a moment to pray and talk with the Lord. The church history, these different uh, teachings that we've covered here today are very important for us to know how we've got to where we're at, why things are the way they are in religious circles and church circles around America and around the world. Maybe God taught you something this week or last week, and, and that's been an, an encouragement and a help to you as you look at Christendom and as you look at other churches and look at our church and other people that you know. Uh, this has been a help, and by God's grace, I'll remember this, that nothing surprises Jesus Christ. He told us ahead of time that these things would take place. Anybody say that? It's an encouragement. It's a help. God, help me to remember as I look around. All right. God bless you. Yes. Many hands with that. Thank you. Thank you. Maybe there's a friend that's not yet trusted Christ. Believe the gospel for yourself today. The finished work of Christ. We're not still working for it today. Some corrupted teaching would say we're still working for it, but we're not. Believe the gospel for yourself. Maybe you'd say, I'd like to know more about salvation, being saved from my sin by grace through faith. And I'd like to know more about that. Anyone like that? Would you just raise your hand? Maybe I'll talk to you after the service if you want. Anybody like that? All right. Thank you. Let's take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these two parables and this incredible teaching of history, the history lesson you gave before it even happened. We thank you when churches grow. We see how there's potential for error and people using Christianity or using religion for some uh, evil means. Uh, Lord, let that not be us. Let us be true followers of Christ, honoring and serving you. We thank you for truth. We thank you for the Bible and the clear doctrinal teaching that you've given to us. And when we see people err, let us not be discouraged, but let us know the truth and hold to it all the more.
Lord, we thank you for our church. We thank you for each one that's here. We pray for your continued hand of blessing and working in our midst. We commit this church to you for your honor and glory. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.